Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. Max Minute, where I think everyone is just tired of Papagallo in Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 86, which begins with the feral child getting rough with Bearclaw Mohawk, and it ends with raiders shooting out more of the tanker's tires. Good Monday morning, Julia. Happy Monday. It is a brand new year. Yes, it is. It is January 1st. 2018, we are officially in the second calendar year of doing this podcast. Yes, we are. We have not yet hit the one year anniversary of us starting this podcast. That will come later in the month and we'll actually be in hiatus by the time it hits. But our podcast is now officially a multi-year project. Excellent. In the most technical of technical terms. (laughs) I'm really stretching on it for a little bit of that recognition, but I'll pat myself on the back and try not to do it too hard to keep from hurting myself. Well, I mean, it is quite an accomplishment, even if it's not quite a year that we've reached a new calendar year, because we've done a lot of work and we've produced a lot of material. Oh, yeah. When you think of a podcast that releases once a week, we've done so much more. Yeah, we've done five times more. At least. I'm not very good with math, so I'm not going to crunch the actual numbers. At at least? (laughs) I don't know. I'm ballparking it here. Well, we can't have done more than that because there's only five days in a week. See, now you're making me think. Well, at most we've done five times what a weekly podcast would do. I wasn't going to think about it too hard, but okay. But then I made you. A podcast that releases weekly releases 52 episodes a year. In our first season, we did 93 episodes. And in our second season, before the year ended, we did 85, which is 178? Plus six for our hiatus. That's right. Wow. I should really be writing this down so, and doing it all in my head, so I'm probably way off base. But we at least did three times Yeah, more. three and a half times what a normal weekly podcast would do. That sounds about right. Okay. <laughs> it sounds better than the initial estimation. I don't know where I was coming at from that. <laughs> anyway, New Year, same old Max. We start off this minute with Bearclaw Mohawk. He's just been jostled around by Max's deceleration and acceleration in an effort to throw Wes loose and throw him, he did. And so Bearclaw finds his footing and is able to more or less stand up and appear in the back window again. Yet, he's not exactly greeted by a friendly face. Instead, he's greeted by the ferocious attack of the feral child in his face. (laughs) Sometimes I find the feral child really annoying, as I find a lot of children sometimes really annoying. But this is not one of those times. Now he is participating. He's helping. And he actually is helping. Well, he's trying. His darndest. Mm. He has a great idea. He's going to bite Bearclaw. And that's a fantastic idea. And he does. He looks like a kid, naturally. 
who has like a giant turkey leg that he's trying to get his mouth around and he can't. Yeah, there is a mouth to arm ratio that is not coming out in the feral kid's favor. No, but it does look like eventually he manages. Although it still doesn't seem to really bother Bearclaw all that much. I mean, Bearclaw really. does remove his arm from the handhold that he had, but not in any sort of like emergency-like way. It does seem to inconvenience him and annoy Bearclaw Mohawk quite a bit. While Bearclaw Mohawk is trying to fight off the feral child, elsewhere, out on the road, Papagallo, who has just rejoined this whole thing, is speeding up the road alongside the tanker. And the most significant thing about this shot that we see the lone wolf speeding along the road is all of the dirt that you can see pouring out of that low spot on the tanker. I did not notice that at all. Mm. It's the first of, I want to say, two different shots that we're going to see just in the first half of this week of dirt coming out of that tanker. Oh. I don't know who specifically knocked loose that cap at the bottom of the tanker. Someone. I'm willing to bet it was the XA Falcon, the red one, that kept getting sideswiped as they were... Oh, okay. Trying to wrestle control of it. My guess was going to be the motorcycle. When it got looped up underneath and skidded along. I'm trying to remember the side that we're looking at. I didn't notice the leaking, so I don't know where on the tanker it is. Hmm. Is it on like the way underneath? It's on the driver's side. Yeah, but like underneath or like on the side? On the side. Oh, okay. So then, yeah, you're right. It's probably the Falcon. Yeah. So Papagallo comes up alongside the rig, and as he's looking up at the rig, he sees the feral child transition from his biting attack to a full-on body swing out the window onto Bearclaw Mohawk's back, and, of course, starts just pummeling him. He's like a Henri Pokemon. He went from using bite to using some sort of punching attack. Pummel. And... At what point, if you're Bearclaw Mohawk, do you just say, you know what? This isn't worth it. You know what? Having an eight-year-old just going crazy on your back, just no tanker full of gasoline is worth that. Just throw up your hands and say, you know what? I'm going to let some other raider deal with this. This is just too much. At this point, what is Bearclaw Mohawk actually trying to do? I think... That he is as stuck on Max as Max is stuck by him. I don't think Bearclaw at this moment has a clear goal of, okay, I'm going to disable Max so I can take over the rig. I think his goal at the moment is to free himself so that he can formulate a new goal. Mm -hmm. So it's not so much that he's ripping and tearing at Max because he thinks he's doing any good. He's ripping and tearing at Max because he's trying to get free? I think so. I love that idea because it puts Max and Bearclaw Mohawk on the same goal path and they're both trying to accomplish it, but their efforts are canceling each other out. Right. If one of them would just stop for a second, the other one could succeed and they'd both be happy. Yeah. But that's not actually what Max would like to happen. He just doesn't know it because if Bearclaw gets free, he's going to formulate a new plan right and attack in a different way so it's definitely not in max's best interest to allow bearclaw mohawk to free himself but at the same time if i was bearclaw mohawk i would free myself and then just hop on to the next raider vehicle that got close enough to leap to i'd just peace out and be like you know what i put my best foot forward put forth a lot of good effort i feel like i pulled my weight and so let someone else do some heavy lifting for a little while Knowing that Bearclaw doesn't survive this predicament that he is in, I have to agree that that would have been his best course of action. 
but you don't become a successful marauder by giving up when there's an annoying eight-year-old. That's a good point. You become a successful marauder by grabbing the little snot-nosed brat and throwing him off the rig underneath the next passing car. Hmm. I think that's one of the reasons why I just wouldn't make it as a raider. I think I lack the motivation to really go above and beyond in a raiding scenario. Yes, and that, that is certainly above and beyond. And perhaps Bearclaw doesn't have that ability to just grab the kid and toss him aside hmm. into we, traffic. We see in just a little bit now Bearclaw Mohawk trying to reach back behind him and grab the feral child, but he's just in such an awkward position on Bearclaw Mohawk's back. He's like that itch you just can't manage to scratch. Right. If that itch was also biting your hand. Right. Because there's a little bit of finger biting that goes on in that sequence as well. It's just not a good day to be Bearclaw Mohawk. He's had better moments in this movie where he wasn't being accosted by children. <laughs> well, not children. One child. But in some instances, one child can be just as bad as multiple children. Well, yeah. <laughs> it occurs to me that this is Bearclaw's big scene. Another more minor scene that Bearclaw stars in is the nighttime scene where Max is walking out and falls down and catches the attention of Bearclaw Mohawk. Also in that scene, it is between Max Bearclaw and the feral child. Oh, yeah. And also the feral child gets the better of Bearclaw. Man, this is the second time he's shown up by an eight-year-old. Yeah. Wow, no wonder he wears a mask. He's probably really ashamed of that. I mean, to Bearclaw's credit, the feral child is ferocious and wild yeah i really love the part where he gets on bear claw's back and the feral child just starts pummeling him with his fists yep and you can see his like skinny little arms just hitting this big grown man's back making no difference whatsoever yeah it's quite humorous going back to the pokemon analogy he used <laughs> pummel it's not very effective <laughs> speaking of shame Papagallo is driving up alongside the rig, and he sees the feral child fighting Bearclaw Mohawk. He accelerates our view, kind of tracks forward to seeing Max, who is at all at once trying to drive, fight, and navigate a landscape full of raiders. And he looks over at Papagallo, and Papagallo kind of, would you say, waves, he, motions? He raises his hand in a what-the-heck-is-going-on-here kind of gesture. Yeah, and it's like, easy there, Papagallo, because you, Papagallo, ran off with a bunch of raiders thinking that you would help. You come back with the same amount of raiders doing absolutely no good at all, and then you roll up on Max, and you're all snarky about, oh, where did everybody go? Why is the situation all snafu'd? It's like, listen, buddy, if you had stuck around, maybe there'd still be defenders on the tanker. Maybe Max would still have a door on the tanker. I feel like things would have been a lot better if Papagallo had not thought, oh, my best course of action is to peace out for seven minutes. Yeah. Playing devil's advocate, because I really do agree with you. I think Papagallo is just being an asshole. Oh, yeah. But... Playing devil's advocate from Papagallo's perspective. Well, forget that he did absolutely no good when he left. When he left, everybody was alive. Mm -hmm. The tanker and the rig were still in one piece. Mm -hmm. All the fortifications were still on it. Everything was fine. He comes back seven minutes later 
I know it's not seven minutes to them, but you know, seven minutes later, everybody's dead. There's all of a sudden a child there and raiders crawling all over this tanker and Max has no door. So he's probably thinking, what the heck have I done by letting Max drive the tanker? Because he's absolutely failed. Before we started recording, you drew a parallel between Papagallo and a husband whose wife stays at home to raise the kids and keep the house. Yes. And I feel like it's kind of a TV trope or maybe more of like an internet trope where the husband comes home and the house is a mess because kids live there. Houses are a mess when kids live there and blames the wife and questions her what she does all day and why the house is always a mess and why dinner's not ready. And she hopefully gives him, her husband, the same kind of eye roll that Max gives Papagallo. I love this eye roll so much. Right. Because you do not get to question the homemaker trying to take care of the home and take care of the kids why the home isn't perfectly taken care of. You don't get to do that when you're not there. Yeah. They don't go to your job and smack the pencil out of your hand and say, well, why aren't these books balanced or anything like that? Don't turn around and do that to the homemaker. It's rude and it's insensitive. And it's also wrong because... She has too much on her plate. Exactly. You don't get to see the myriad raiders that are coming through there. I mean, Max has single-handedly taken out more raiders on his own than everybody else in this action sequence. If we're keeping track about who's the most effective person in the rig, it's Max. And so he does not deserve Papagallo's sass. No, he does not. He didn't see the four-pack that has been shot... Many times. Many times so far, killing the warrior woman. He didn't see the grappling hooks that took out both Zeta and the door. Uh Uh-huh. He didn't see the mechanic just simply get pulled off the top of the tanker. He didn't see any of that. Like I said before, all situations that would have gone drastically different if Papagallo had stuck around. Yes. So long and short of it is Papagallo's asshole. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. He is a smug asshole and he does not get to motion to Max like that. (laughs) I wanted so badly to find a list online of the best eye rolls from movies. Mm -hmm. And I found one, sort of. BuzzFeed did one, which is, you know, they're pretty dependable for stuff like that. The problem with the list and why I'm not going to link to it is that it was mostly pop culture and reality TV. There was a few movies smattered in, the best being Belle from Beauty and the Beast does a good one. Like anytime she's dealing with Gaston. Yes, exactly. There is, of course, the famous quintessential eye roll from Liz Lemon. There was a fantastic one from The Rock Mm -hmm. from his wrestling days. Oh. On the list. Yeah, old school. But yeah, most of them were... Like reality show, yeah, keeping the, I, up with the Kardashian stuff. Exactly. And I didn't recognize a lot of them. Mm. So yeah, I went down a little eye roll hole this afternoon. <laughs> yeah, I think you mentioned in our online chat that you wasted about 10 minutes of your life just looking at eye roll gifts. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> Time well spent when it's spent for the podcast. And then I got to use one in real life. Nice. I sent one to Porter. That's right. I remember that one. And I took like three minutes looking for the perfect one. (laughs) He mentioned something about loving the Subaru Baja, and that was your Yes, and that was my reply. That's right. So Papagallo slows down, and he gets more online with the feral child, and he starts shouting. Feral child is over here, tearing at Bear Claw Mohawk. He pulls off Bear Claw Mohawk's custom-made mask, so that's gone. Well, isn't everything custom-made? Yeah, but 
I wanted to call it out especially, because... It's like saying assless chaps. Okay, yes, you're right. Anyway, Papagallo's shouting. He yells, boy, come on, jump, come on, jump, as he's holding out his hand to the feral child. And the feral child is still busy with Bear Claw Mohawk. He is not interested in turning tail and running. He is probably thinking that he's got Bear Claw Mohawk on the ropes. He probably thinks that he's got Bear Claw Mohawk right where he wants him because Bear Claw Mohawk, in this instance specifically, has got his hand reached up and he's trying to grab the feral child, but the feral child is wiry and wormy and able to evade him. It's not going well for Bear Claw Mohawk and Papagallo keeps shouting, I say we've won. It's over, boy. And this gives me pause. Because this assertion that they've won, how are they judging that scenario for victory? Like, where are the tallies falling that they have won? Well, I think that to be able to answer that question, we need to know the criteria for a successful mission that they set beforehand. I don't think they could realistically ever hope to kill every raider that follows them. I don't think that could ever realistically have been their goal. So what was their goal? Just to get a certain distance from the camp or a certain time frame? Like, if we can get them to chase us for a half an hour while the civilian convoy goes in the opposite direction for a half an hour, then we can call that a success. So what is Papagallo's criteria for success? Yeah, I like the idea of a time or distance quota that they're shooting for. Mm -hmm. An idea that if we can at least lead them for 30 minutes, one hour, two hours, for however many miles, then hooray for us, chalk it up to a win. But in every other criteria for victory, first of all, the battle's not over. The chase has not finished itself. They're still actively driving and pushing and defending and attacking. It's not over. They haven't won the chase. It's still actively going on. And then, yes, while Team Convoy has had a 100% success rate, Team Tanker has had massive casualties, and everything is falling apart, nothing is going right. So this whole, we've won, it's over, and it's like, shut up, Papagallo, don't be obnoxious. In preparing my notes several minutes ago, I don't even remember when, I wanted to use the word hubris. Mm -hmm. So I looked it up just to make sure I had the definition really correct didn't really fit what I wanted to say, so I didn't use it. I think the word hubris fits perfectly right here because he is overly confident and then comes along his downfall. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly what happens. And I'm I'm okay with that. <laughs> I mean, I know Papagallo is supposed to be one of the good guys, and he is. He's a good guy. But, you know, the scales have been going back and forth for me on him the entire movie. And his behavior in this minute in particular kind of tipped it way not in his favor mm -hmm. so to see him go i'm really okay besides he goes in like an epic manner sort of not epic for him epic for humongous right because we cut from papagallo talking to the feral child and the feral child harassing bear claw mohawk back onto the road where the Lord Humongous is driving up behind Papagallo's vehicle. And he pulls this trident that he's holding aloft in one hand, and he just tosses it. Now, this throw is very impressive for multiple reasons. First of all, Papagallo and Humongous are driving at highway speed. They're going very fast, and so he's got to throw into the wind this big old 
trident pokey thing that's got a femur for a handle. Yes, that's my favorite part. I like calling it a trident because it's got three prongs on it, even if it isn't prongs in a row row. like a pitchfork. But anyway. I couldn't find a specific name for this type of trident. Right. So he's going at highway speed. He's got to fight wind resistance. He's throwing a trident from a seated position. Most long-handle throwing weapons, and you could more or less call this a long-handle throwing weapon, require the use of the entire body. Legs, hips, torso, arms, whole thing, in order to propel it forward with enough speed and accuracy to hit something. Humongous is just sitting there, and he's got his arm up, and he tosses it with just one arm. He doesn't even shift his upper body that much. He just lets go. It sails through the air, over that big old shroud at the back of the lone wolf, over that, straight into Papagallo's back at a distance of, I'd say, a minimum of two to three meters or like six to 13 feet because he was probably tailgating him. But he bullseye that. And you can't see on my face (laughs) how amazed I am and impressed at how Humongous is able to do that. But if I had a little Olympic judge card, I'd be holding up a 10 right now. Yes. Because it is dead on. You mentioned that you consider this a long-handled weapon. I think it's really important that it's actually not a long-handled weapon. Long-handled weapons are long for a reason. Spears are long for a reason. It's about physics and like direction and momentum and, and all that kind of stuff that I really have no idea about. But I do know that it's about physics. So him throwing this stunted three-pronged spear type thing is weird. Mm -hmm. And it's going to have weird properties about how it flies and the forces needed and its stability in the air. It's all just going to be weird. In addition to, as you said, going into the wind and they're both moving and all this kind of stuff. Like, it's a miracle that he hit him. You say miracle, I just say impressive. Considering, if I'm not mistaken, he only has two of these, right? Right. He's got one on either side of his truck. I think so. Which we'll see the second one tomorrow. If he only has two of them and they're such large items meant to be thrown away, and if you're lucky, you get it back, but you may not get it back. To use one, he must be very confident in his skill that he can use it to the greatest effect. Right. Yeah, he probably practices. (laughs) Yeah. When he's not drawing in the dirt with a stick. Exactly. He's practicing his tri-spear throwing. Mm. I like that you brought up that the handles are short and therefore don't offer the aerial stability when thrown because it just makes it even more impressive to me. Mm-hmm. So Papagallo is dead. Yep. Ding dong, Papagallo's dead. And it's so mundane. Bland. He yeah. gets the trident in his back and he slumps over the steering wheel of the lone wolf and yeah the lone wolf kind of drifts into the tanker a bit and squeals against the rig but then it just drifts the other way off the road into the underbrush and does a bit of a half turn but just comes to a stop in a little cloud of dust and everybody just drives on by right not even giving it a second thought it would have been cool if the lone wolf had cut in front of some of the other vehicles, and there had been a crash. Like if he took out a motorcycle or something. Yeah. One last hurrah. Yeah, in his spin that he did at the very end, kicked up a lot of dirt. You couldn't see the car at all by the end. It was just a puff of dirt. So perfect for low visibility, a motorcycle to come up and just flip over the thing, Mm -hmm. which arguably they already did, but they can do it again. I find it to be a very anticlimactic end for Papagallo because he did so much for the compound and he did so much for the story and he was such a central figure. And now it's just trident in the back, 
slump, swerve, he's gone. Yeah, I think it's the same way that I felt about the other three. Mm-hmm. That it was just kind of sudden and, yeah, anticlimactic. Yeah, I think that might be a commentary from George Miller. Like, not everyone goes out like a hero. Some people just die. Mm, good point. You know? None is true. I feel like we're going to see more spectacular deaths in <laughs> Thunderdome and Fury Road, though. It might yes. also just be a production thing. <laughs> yes. Max watches the lone wolf swerve away. It's gone now. He's going to keep driving. And another worry comes up to harass him. One of the snake truck raiders is on the four pack again, and he swings around and shoots out more of the tires. And there's a weird sound effect thing that we hear in this minute. We also hear it in tomorrow's minute. Do you want to talk about here or then? Let's talk about it tomorrow. All right, we'll save it. So. I think we've been talking for a long time. So... Come back tomorrow for that. Some talk about sound effects. We also got some gyrocopter action happening. And it's going to be fun because it's kind of goofy. So we'll see you then. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, click on the support link at the top of the page, and check out our Patreon to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 86 of the Road Warrior. See you tomorrow.